I got to warn you. You're doomed to stay. Go. Go. Welcome to a Podcalypse Now, a journey into the heart of darkness. My name is Dave, and this is my brother Aaron, and we're here to give you our totally 100% unqualified views on all things pop culture. From movies to music to news, nothing is off limits for us to blindly comment on that's happening in the real world. So last week on a pod clips now, we mentioned that we were going to be covering the three-on-three news segment, Man of the Year, and the Portland Trailblazers. But all three of those topics went right out the window when we realized what Friday's date is. That date is a day we celebrate a hero, a champion, a patriot. Yes, Friday, August the 13th. So in honor of this mythical day, we are dedicating this show to the man, the myth, the legend, Jason Voorhees. So to start off this episode, we're going to go right into our Man of the Year segment. Now you're moral! And this week's recipient is none other than the Jason Voorhees. Yeah! Our hero. He has starred in how many movies, Dave? Is it 11, 12 at this point? Three dozen films. Too many to count because there are just so many good ones that you just kind of lose track of all the yumminess that you get from Jason over and over again. Look, look. The Godfather, Gone with the Wind, Apocalypse Now. That's all a bunch of bullshit. Crap. Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D when he shoots the fat kid with a harpoon gun. That's what I'm talking about. A very accurate marksman, Jason is. Even even in the reimagining, when he Rambo-like shot that guy in the head with his arrow from the bank and then walked off in the woods because it ain't no thing for Jason Voorhees. Didn't even think twice about it. His aim is immaculate. Despite the fact that his eyes are crooked, and I don't mean in his sockets, I mean one sits lower on his head, the man never misses a shot. There's definitely one problem he doesn't face, getting his hair in his eyes, because throughout the series, the hair he has moves to different parts of his scalp. I think we're talking about fashion plate Jason with a potato sack on his head, the man in the plaid, Jason Voorhees. So, we grew up watching the Friday the 13th movies. It's something that's near and dear to our heart. And me and Dave have each something seen. Something I'm sure our parents are very proud of. <laughs> me and Dave have each seen the movies multiple times, all two or three dozen of them, excluding the first one, but we'll get to that a little later. Jason is arguably our favorite horror movie villain slash hero. There's nothing greater than watching Jason kill idiot teenagers over and over again throughout the years. Well, I think for me, the thing about Jason is that Freddy Krueger... I think the old Nightmare on Elm Street movies do hold up. I think they're imaginative because of the whole nightmare sequence going on. But I don't get the same visceral, sheer pleasure from the Freddy movies that I get from watching Jason come back to life and kill naked, horny teenagers. They're just It's just stupid and simple and fun, and I love it. Yeah, all the different ways they imagined bringing Jason back. They even used a psychic to bring him out of the lake. <laughs> Rise from your watery grave, Jason. I think that's how they do it in that one, right? The psychic, like, wakes him up. Well, what happens is the psychic is trying to wake up her father, but unfortunately for her, Jason, who's still chained to the bottom of the lake from part six, she wakes him up. So, you know, her bad. Whatever. Whoops. Yeah. Oops. You know, I mean, the dude's who's killed in every movie, but I, I would go so far as to say in parts two, three, and four, he really wasn't killed. Actually, excuse me, parts two and three, 
he really wasn't killed. He was just put down for a little bit, just but he got back up. severely injured, but as we all know, Jason has a healing factor like no other horror movie villain Well, they, they explain that in Jason X, Jason takes space, that he actually <laughs> has a regenerative power. That's why he was able to keep coming back like that. that. That's where the people who make the Jason movies decided, we need to explain this. Because we've killed him nine times already, and how the fuck can this guy be coming back from the dead every single time? You know what? Fuck that. Here's the answer. He's Jason. That's it. This is, I mean, come on. This is like Lord of the Rings for horror fans, all right? Except there is no one ring, and you're rooting for Sauron. I mean, and despite the fact that the guy wears a hockey mask and has no expressions on his face, it is arguably the most iconic look in horror history. Basically, Dave and I thought, because it is Friday the 13th coming out, it was a fitting time to express our love for the man, the man, Jason Voorhees. To honor this American original, somebody that has shaped our lives, and probably a couple juggalos, here's to you, Jay. One thing that we'd both like to bring up, that we both stand together on, is that like any true man, Jason Voorhees has surpassed a woman in doing what she did first, but doing it way better. Yes, in my opinion, all 32 of the Jason movies starring Jason outweigh the first one starring his mom by seven machete bags full. Yes, Mrs. Harry Knuckles, Pamela Voorhees, get the hell out of the way. Boring. Oh, I'm sorry, you're running around the woods with a knife? Big deal. Your son's carrying a big phallic machete. That's why he's the man of the year. And he's got a pillowcase on his head. So he could take a nap whenever he wants. I mean, you can probably tell from the volume of my voice that I'm actually pretty fired up for this episode. We, we were going to do a regular episode before, and a third party who will rename remain nameless suggested that we do a Jason Memorial episode and ironically ironically party is a big fan of the first ironically she is a fan of Pamela Voorhees she's pro Pamela Voorhees I don't get it you know and I mean let's but let's think about this for a sec what has Jason done to deserve being man of the year well there have been now 12 Friday the 13th films if you count Jason X and Freddy vs. Jason but when you ask people about those films they're not called the Friday the 13th franchise they are called the Jason movies Thank you, the Jason movies. And despite the fact that Kevin Bacon died in the first one, Jason Voorhees' mother has long ago been forgotten. Her baby boy, Jason, the one who should never have gone for a swim, is the one we're here to honor today. He's kind of like the little engine that could. He just keeps chugging along. Unstoppable. Never count a good tarred down. (laughs) One thing that I love about Jason is that he always finds new, unique, creative ways to take out his victims which is another thing he has over his own mother because let's face it Pamela Voorhees in comparison to Jason isn't quite up to par in her originality of killing you mean she's not up to snuff (laughs) (laughs) so we're going to transition into our next segment here which we're going to continue on with the Jason theme which is our John Ritter Memorial Three's Company segment but this one's going to be Jason themed. Me and Dave are each going to talk about our three favorite moments in Friday the 13th Jason history. And these are the moments that have defined these films for us. The moments that stand on the shoulders of those other fine moments from this endearing film franchise. And so to kick off the uh, Three's Company segment, I'm going to go back my first moment, taking it all the way back to Friday the 13th Part 2. Yes, I'm talking about bumbling pillowhead Jason. Falling off a stool and missing his prey with a pitchfork, and then later on jumping out of the bushes 
and missing her for a second time. The great thing about the second one is it's almost as if Jason is on his first mission and he's bumbling his way through it, learning the ropes on how to kill teenagers in the woods the best way possible. Because after that one, you can tell he's got it down. He's seasoned. I mean, the funny thing about it is that he's just a stone-cold killer up until the point where he has to kill the last girl. Then all of a sudden, he's Inspector Clouseau in a potato sack. I mean, he literally falls off a stool at one point trying to stab her, and he gives a whole, like, crazy wobbly head thing while he's going down. It's And then he jumps out of a bush. Well, like any great athlete who's trying to win their first championship... Sometimes when you're on the brink, you get a little nervous and you tighten up a little bit and it's hard to finish off that last play or to make that last basket. In Jason's case, he got a little tight. He had a hard time making that last kill. He couldn't finish. But I mean, you know who that reminds me of? Michael Jordan. That's true. Because before he actually got to the finals, he lost the Pistons in the the Eastern Conference Finals twice. And the Celtics. And the Celtics. And what about Shaquille O'Neal? who lost in the finals when he was with the Mavericks. Or the Magic. The Magic. <laughs> yes, Akeem Olajuwon was the proverbial last girl standing. And Shaq you, uh, was the bumbling pillow head. You're saying Akeem Olajuwon was the virgin survivor. He may have actually been a virgin, too. Have you seen Akeem Olajuwon? Are you ki- no. Are you kidding me? He has 17 wives in Eastern Africa or wherever he retired That's to. probably true. He has as many wives as Jason has sequels. The first one of my three topics I'd like to bring up from my part of the Three's Company segment goes out to anyone who's ever enjoyed walking through the front door of their house. I do every day. You see, Jason, he's a little different. He doesn't believe in using doors in the traditional manner. No, when Jason needs to enter someone's house, or exit it for that manner, he just explodes through it like a pile of dynamite. It's like Jason Voorhees, friend of carpenters everywhere. Or biggest enemy. <laughs> no, he's keeping them in a job. And, but it is, it's great. It's like, a motherfucker can't open the door. That shit blows up. It's just, boom, and Jason's in the door. It is well known that he's retarded. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> he may not be able to open doors so, manually. You're, you're, so saying, he you're saying, it. while a velociraptor in Jurassic Park can figure out how to open a door, it's beyond Jason Voorhees to turn the handle. Yes. So, how does he stuck up on folks when he gets in the house? Is he, like, exploding quietly through a door? No. It's magic. Jason magic. Well, the the magic happens on the screen. My favorite door explosion happens in part seven. That's the one with the psychic, right? Yeah. You are correct, sir. Part seven with the psychic. Towards the end, the one where Jason, not one cabin was enough to destroy. In this one, the filmmakers gave Jason two cabins to terrorize through. Well... The thing about the sequels are they have to get bigger. The body count has to get bigger. He's already destroyed one cabin in the previous film. Now he must destroy two cabins. So Jason, in one of the final sequences of the movie while chasing the main, well, the main person we want to see die, the last girl standing, because Jason is well, he's basically after. Basically, part seven, just to go back and touch on a little bit, was Jason versus Carrie, was what the premise was. If you watch special features on the DVD, I think the producers even said that it's Jason versus Carrie. So Jason's chasing this girl with telekinetic powers and her passed out, worthless, underwear model boyfriend who isn't doing anything. And this movie actually has another unique sequence in it that we'll touch on later involving one of my all-time favorite Jason kills, which he gets an assist from an evil doctor on. Yeah, if you look at Jason's stats, he's actually up to 852 and a half kills. And And we're going to touch on that later on. Um, (laughs) But basically, towards the end of the movie, Jason comes exploding through the front door of the counselor's house 
that was occupied by about a dozen teenagers, which up to this point Jason has torn through, including is this one with Kristen Glover? Or no, that, no, no, that's no, 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 that's part four with uh, Corey Haim or Corey Feldman. But anyways, we digress. Jason it's doesn't easy to like do doors. When there's twelve volumes of Jason films to digress. Which one's Crispin Glover in? <laughs> I don't know, but I believe they actually call him a dead fuck while they're driving to the cab, and it's like, ooh, ooh, the writer's foreshadowing what's gonna happen to him. <laughs> so, uh, moving on to my next three-on-three moment in Jason lore is, you know, the the guy comes back from the dead. It's kind of Jason's thing, and we all love him for it. But I'm gonna touch on a special moment in Jason's film career when not only does he come back from the dead, he comes back via a bolt of lightning. Yes, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason lives. Tommy Jarvis, his nemesis from part four is back and he has convinced himself that no, the real Jason Voorhees isn't dead, that he has to take Horshack from Welcome Back Cotter, <laughs> drive out to the graveyard, dig up Jason, pour gasoline on him, lose his shit, tear off a chunk of metal, creepy graveyard Halloween fence, and stab the shit out of Jason during a thunderstorm. But Dave, you forgot. That's not the only time Jason comes back by a thunderstorm. In Jason Takes Manhattan Part 8, a lightning bolt hits. A no, conveniently no, no, it's not a lightning bolt. It's not. Because while the lovers are floating on Crystal Lake, their anchor snags a power line that is exposed <laughs> on the bottom of Crystal Lake. Meanwhile, our hero Jason is buried under the remnants of the dock that fell on him from part seven. The electricity never <laughs> fails to get Jason's, Jason new life. Jason's decomposed, yet unbelievably fucking huge corpse <laughs> and brings it back to life. But let's, I'm going back to part six. So Tommy Jarvis, just to go back and paint the picture, has stabbed Jason with this chunk of fence. And then he has to get out and yell at Horshack for some stupid reason. And then the unthinkable happens. Lightning strikes the chunk of fence, bringing Jason back to life. Thank God. To the horror of poor Tommy Jarvis who wanted to burn Jason's corpse. Now in the process, Jason punches Horshack so hard that he lands in the grave and kills him. Oh no, I'm sorry. He actually punches Horshack in the chest and tears out his heart. Basically, Tommy, in one fell swoop, not only does he not destroy Jason, brings him back to life, in which his only buddy, Horshack, bites the big one because of it. Yeah, I mean, Tommy Jarvis was actually played by Corey Haim in part four, and they had succeeded in actually Feldman. killing, excuse me, Corey Feldman. They had actually succeeded in killing Jason. Jason was buried, he was dead, and when they show his corpse in part six, there are maggots all over it. But Tommy Jarvis, that's not good enough for him because he's crazy, has to dig up Jason. It doesn't work out for Jason, and that's kind of why we have superpowered Jason now. The lightning gave him special strength. And one thing you gotta keep in mind is in part five, it's not Jason. It's a guy mimicking Jason. Yeah, he's mimicking the Jason killings and he's killing these kids at a... Um, it's like, like a rehab facility it's like for a troubled rehab teenagers. Yeah, for troubled teenagers. You know, part five is actually one of my least favorite entries because it's not pure, because it doesn't feature Jason. It's not actually himself. Jason, but if you're gonna pattern your life after anyone, who is one of the top movie serial killers that you would follow? Oh, Jason Voorhees. Yeah, it's easy. so you can see why the guy is mimicking well, Jason. It funny, makes perfect sense. Funny thing, though, is because at the end of part four, after Corey Feldman, right? Mm-hmm. After Corey Feldman kills Jason and hacks him in the head with his machete, they kind of set it up so that Corey Feldman, that character Tommy Jarvis, was going to become the new Jason. They kind of left themselves a back door just in case 
they, the franchise kept making money and they never ended up going that route. But the last shot of part four is Tommy Jarvis sitting there looking all crazy and stuff mm -hmm. in the hospital, like, like Jason, the evil is inside of him. They didn't end up going that route. They just kind of played him off in part six as a, a disturbed child. But I mean, part six, I like part six a lot because it, it it's a little more tongue in cheek after the first five had taken themselves a little bit too seriously. You got the lightning bringing him back like Frankenstein. You've got <laughs> one thing that Fat you'll Jason notice. and Slim Jason in the same film. That's <laughs> That's yeah, chubby Jason during the paintball scene where he's out hunting the paintballers. All of a sudden you notice that Jason's packed on a few pounds while waiting to be electrocuted back to life. Well, if you wake up from being dead, you're going to be hungry. And you go to Old Country Buffet. Where he conquered the 72-ounce steak and in turn didn't have to pay for his meal. Would you say he killed it? Yes. I'd like to, uh, to add to what Dave was talking about part six. One of the funny things about the Friday the 13th franchise is the overall film quality of the movies fluctuates throughout the series. And part six is one of the high points because in part seven, all of a sudden, the lake's not quite as big. In oh. fact, it may not even be a lake in part seven. It may have just been a big river in that they part built seven, the house next to. They dammed a river and turned it into something that kind of looked like a lake. You know, you did touch on something really interesting. You could kind of see, as Paramount's interest ebbed and flowed in the franchise, how much money Jason was getting for these films. You can imagine Jason going into the Paramount executive's office, begging for more money so he can have a bigger budget for his next hit. I don't like to think about Jason on his knees begging for money. <laughs> well, another thing about Part 6, I asked one of my all-time favorite kills by Jason. It's at the very end, I believe it's the uh, main girl's father is out battling with Jason to protect his young daughter. And Jason battles back and bends him in half backwards. Yes. Jason folded up the sheriff of Crystal Lake like a deck of cards in half. And you just hear the guy going, ah! And then his spine cracks. Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> Part six is maybe my favorite one of the bunch. I mean, Jason squishes somebody's head. That was a kill. That's a kill he'd used before, but it was a good one. This is also where they introduce Jason killing inanimate objects. When a poor RV crosses Jason's path and doesn't live to talk about it. Well, you know, you don't fuck with Jason, right? Not even if you're an automobile. So to continue on with the idea of Jason killing inanimate objects, I'd like to talk about one of my all-time favorite horror movie kills, which goes to Jason, part eight, when he takes Manhattan. You see, Jason got to the point where it wasn't enough to kill one teenager, or even two teenagers at a time. No, he needed to kill an entire boat full of teenagers. And damn it, Jason does that by sinking the motherfucker. I just like it makes me imagine Jason standing on the prow of the ship like in a little captain's hat on top of his hockey mask and just being like I'm gonna sink this bitch well that's one of the best parts of part 8 is that um the way he gets to the larger cruise ship that the teenagers are taking on like their senior trip is by piloting a smaller ship which he took from two other teenagers from Crystal Lake to the ocean so not only do we know that Jason's an efficient killing machine he's, but he's also quite the mariner he can he's, pilot he's, a boat like he's no a, other he's killer. an accomplished captain <laughs> as well as an excellent marksman if you look close enough as Jason's boat pulls into the ocean before he hops on board the larger cruise ship you can actually see a shot of Jason with a little captain's hat on he's he's tying nautical knots <laughs> would you figure that by part eight like somebody in the area would just drain crystal lake just drain the fucker i mean that's it it's over that's the end of the franchise 
It's like there's Jason at the bottom underneath the uh, boat ramp. Would you try to drain Crystal Lake? I wouldn't get near that motherfucker. All those people that I'd be like, fuck you. I'm not going anywhere near that lake. <laughs> hey, you want to go camping? Where? Crystal Lake? No. Nope. nope. <laughs> I'll pass. You know what? I'm going to let all these horny teenagers go. I'm going to stay here at home. Besides, you know, camping is lame anyway. But yeah, I, I have very fond memories of Part 8 because that was actually the first of the films I'd seen. I begged, because um, Aaron and I were, were brothers, I begged our parents to let me stay up late so I could record it off of HBO. And I think one of my favorite parts in that entire film is that I found out that the sewers of New York are flooded every night by toxic waste. Uh, yeah, that way they, uh, that's how they can clean out all that really nasty stuff that's down there. Hard to believe. Yeah, looking back on part eight, it is... It's, it, it, it's, it's a disappointment. It, it's great. It's got some like pretty iconic moments, but it's also kind of a disappointment because the original script treatment called for a lot more of the film to take place in New York. And they, they had actually used Vancouver, British Columbia as a standard for most of New York. They only shot New York for one night, and that's the Times Square shot with Jason. Um, it really became Jason kills a cruise liner populated with horny youngsters. Which, you know, I could see Jason being in Manhattan for a little bit longer being cool. But I'm kind of glad it wound up being the way it is because... I find it a little more humorous that Jason is killing teenagers left and right in a boat. Where do you run when you're on a boat with Jason? There's nowhere to go. Oh, I like that on the boat they still found the creepy cats like, you're all gonna die. That is an excellent point. I'm glad you brought that up. One of the most iconic characters, recurring characters in the history of the Friday 13th franchise. It is not the same character. Is the creepy guy who pops up, it seems like, in every one. Warning the teenage... And you know what's funny? He may seem crazy. He may seem out of place. But he's right. He's the only they one should that, listen to him. He's the only one that gets it. If they listen to him, they'd all live. Because um, he says, you're going to die. And guess what happens? Almost all die. of them die. A little bit of a trivia from part eight. The uh, Asian girl that Jason kills off camera is Kelly Hu, who played uh, in X2. She played uh, Lady Deathstrike with the long free nails. A little bit of trivia. Also, what else I learned in uh, Jason, uh, Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. Case Don't, in point. Case in point. See, you're just about to call it the Jason, Jason franchise. <laughs> Don't let your uncle give you swimming lessons. Especially if he's a total asshole. <laughs> it looks like a bit of a pedophile. <laughs> um, the, the main, the heroine's name who escapes me now, we'll just call it our virgin survivor. Her uncle grew up around Crystal Lake in part eight. That's the premise. And she needed to learn to swim. So one day they're on a nice boating trip around Crystal Lake. And some rickety old boat. Some rickety old boat that he'd probably fashioned out of twigs and cum, he ended up tossing his niece over the edge of the boat what into the river. What better way to learn how to swim? Hey, never had a swimming lesson? Now's the time to learn. Tossed her in. But guess who's down there to tug her down? I w- See, I Young Jason Voorhees. I don't think he's there to tug her down. I think he's there to help her learn. You know what? If there's any person who's going to know how to swim, who else? Jason, come on. He grew up in a freaking lake. He drowned. That's, that's how he died in the first place. He drowned. Jason watched every minute. He was... He wasn't a very good swimmer. We can go now. Yeah, one thing I'd like to talk about a little bit is that Dave touched on a little bit earlier. The eighth one is kind of, it kind of stands out to both he and I because we had it growing up on VHS, so we've seen it. Which about, is the best way to watch any Jason films on VHS. Yeah, a sketchy ass tape, sketchy ass low tape quality. You've watched it like three dozen times and it keeps getting worse every time. Yeah, the sound every now and then just kind of it cuts it out goes, or, or distorts. Yeah. Like you really can't tell what anybody's saying because it's so fuzzy. Yeah, but the eighth one is, is the one that brought us into the Jason franchise, so that one has a special place in both our hearts. It does, and I mean, I 
guess two of my favorite ones are part six and part seven. Part six because I think the production value is pretty good and they kind of started to get the, the blossoming joke that was Jason Voorhees. I like part seven because it's a little bit different even though the budget had been slashed. Jason versus Psychic is kind of interesting and I think part seven had my favorite Jason makeup because I believe it might have been Rick Baker but I'm probably wrong. The guy that did the makeup for part seven tried to account for all the injuries that Jason had taken over the years. So on the Jason character makeup you've got the axe, you got the axe in the forehead, in the you've got the eye that's been poked out, you've got holes in the face. I mean, he really tried to account for all the wear and tear that that dead body had gone through. So there's actually some sort of continuity to it, and it wasn't just some dude in some Jason makeup, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just random like... Random patches of hair and different bumps on his head than the previous six or seven movies. And that's one of the biggest things about the Jason franchise. I know it's hard to believe that the execs of Paramount didn't care about continuity in the series, but that's one of the things I love about Part 7 is that they try to show that Jason has been through some shit in his life. And But one of the other things they do in Part 7 is that you know his spine is visible through his mechanics of onesie that he's wearing. They show that he's been down the bottom of that lake for a while. And once, once again, like I think the fight in the house at the end of Part 7 is... It's pretty great because Jason goes down, he gets burnt by who I, what I believe her name was Tina. Yeah, well, another good part about that scene that you're talking about right now is the part where Jason goes into the house. That's the house that the, the psychic and her mom and the doctor have been staying at. And Jason has them trapped. And they try to move quickly around him to the door it's open. But Jason, having learned from years of experience, slams the door in their face before they can get out of no, the house. No, what happens if you're Jason and you slam the door and it just explodes? That's true, probably. <laughs> Slammed a little too hard. He's like, oh, my powers have worked against me. <laughs> it, it's just funny to me because all of a sudden, in the middle of this franchise of movies, Jason has the wherewithal to shut the door so they can't get out when he sees them making a move towards it. I just think that's one of the great parts, funny little unique things that, you know, I pick up on when I see a Jason It's It's kind of like for the first thing in that scene, it's like Jason's actually pissed. Like, he's breathing hard, he's, like, looking at them, and he's scowling. He's a little frustrated. He's a little frustrated because he can't get the psychic, and he'd been hung and then thrown through the uh, The stairs. stairs. And then he blows through the wall of the stairs. (laughs) He he explodes up, yeah, through the stairs, which is just Jason's MO. Also, part seven, though, we got to give a shout-out to Kane Hodder. That was his first time in the role of Jason Voorhees. And, you know, a lot of people be like, well, you know, what does it take to play Jason? You know, he's just a big, dumb killing machine. And you're kind of right. But if you watch those films, watch Kane Hodder's performance. There really is personality to the character. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Case in point, who do you know that's played Jason? What actors, how many actors can you count on? The, on you can count one. I, I can't even name the guy that played him in the last one. I, actually, I can. It's Derek Mears, and that's just because he played him in the, uh, the Platinum Dunes remake. The thing about Jason to me is that, you know, point I'd like to make is there's a band named after Kane Hodder. He actually did develop some sort of cult following from his portrayal of Jason, which lasted for up until Jason versus Freddy, right? That's when they quit casting him. Yeah, and J- Jason versus Freddy, in fact, I can't name after Jason. It's in Jason versus Freddy, they went away from Kane Hodder and they cast a guy named Ken Kersinger because Kane Hodder is like six foot three and weighs 280 pounds. He's a really big dude, but apparently that wasn't big enough for Jason and Jason versus Freddy. You know, I've also, but another thing about Kane Hodder, though, is that he's very protective of the Jason character and wants to make sure that things are done properly with the Jason character. And so I think that they probably cast somebody else who's a little less protective of the character so they can kind of make the character work within the story. But you, you got to give it up. He played Jason in 7, 8, Jason Goes, Jason to, goes hell, to Hell, Jason and X. Jason in Space. So, you know, you got to give it for, Ken, for Kane Hodder. He's easily the best actor to portray the character Jason. Not that the other guys, especially I thought Derek Mears was pretty good in the remake. Yeah, no, he did good. He was still playing a human Jason. But uh, and Ken Kersenberger was pretty good in uh, Freddy vs. Jason. A lot of people actually said that they 
got the character Jason in that film wrong, and I love Freddy vs. Jason. I think it came out in 2005. Yes, and Dave and I, maybe the only two people in the entire country, saw on consecutive weekends. Opening weekend, when Jason macheted to the right and killed Kevin Costner's film Open Range. That's, that's a, that was that the movie? I remember there was a movie that came out that weekend that me and Dave oh. both thought looked terrible, and we were just praying that Jason vs. Freddy would slash to the left. And slash to the right and slash it out of the box office. Sure enough, it. he slashed the shit out of open range <laughs> and made a killing at the box office that weekend. But, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with Ken Kersniger's, um portrayal of Jason, but I do, I do think that they did get the character of Jason wrong in that film a little bit. They kind of treated him like a big, dumb, lumbering brute. And one thing that a Kane Hodder had done to Jason was prove that he's not dumb. You know, he might be lumbering and he might be big, but he's not dumb. He actually kind of outsmarts his prey. So, but moving on, time to get down to my last defining moment of the Jason films for me. I want to talk about Jason as a craftsman. Bob Vila, eat your heart out. In the second one, Jason has fashioned himself a fine shack in the middle of the woods, <laughs> which truly reflects the Mongoloidian proclivities of his intellect. It's definitely alluded to that Jason may have rode the short bus prior to his drowning in Crystal Lake, and in part two, you find that Jason actually didn't drown. You wouldn't actually be able to tell based on the shack that he built. You think Bob Vila showed up? He's like, this old shack? No, in part two, Jason supposedly drowned, but that didn't actually happen. He just grew up in the wild as a feral, red-headed boy. And yeah, apparently, scavenging in the woods, he found enough debris to build himself a shack. And lo and behold, Jason has built himself a home. Well, the shack serves as two purposes. Not only is it his abode, where Jason goes, spend long nights, plotting different ways to murder, well, what I like to call the enemy... But it's also a shrine. Let's say our hero Jason, it's his home, where he goes to plot how he's going to take out the enemy. It's kind of like Jason's Batcave when you really think about it. It's where he goes when, you know, he drives the Jason mobile into the garage and goes inside and has a long conversation with his mom's severed, decaying head that he has placed on a table in honor of his most favorite person that has ever walked the planet. His mom. Yeah, I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot of weird stuff we will probably touch on later on as far as Jason's relationship with his mother goes. But I think Aaron really hit on something. And, you know, I think as the series goes on, Jason definitely became the hero as these teenagers became dumber. And this is definitely Jason's bad team. It's his fortress of solitude in the woods because it's kind of inaccessible unless you're a fat cop in jeans. In part two, you just kind of stumble upon it. Um, Biggest it's mistake that guy ever made. Yep, I love that he just kind of wandered into Jason's shack and hung out for a little bit. Then he found the head, then Jason decided to kill him. It's like Jason was toying with his prey. He's like, okay, wait for it, wait for it. Okay, I'm bored. It, would that be, that's officially Jason's first kill, right? Unless you count the end of part one as Jason's first kill, the boy coming out of the lake. No. I think that's a dream sequence. That's that a is dream a dream sequence. sequence. Can he still say they prove in part two that that's a dream sequence because the, the survivor from the first, the first one, one wakes up and Jason actually gets her. Yep. Jason, when he wants to get his man, or in this case woman, he gets him. Kind of. <laughs> it's like Jason's love shack, though, in the woods. Uh, his home away from home. <laughs> to wrap up the Three's Company segment, I'd like to talk about another one of my favorite Jason kills. In this case, 50% Jason kill. Part 7 we've touched on, it's the one with the psychic, Jason versus Carrie. There's a doctor who is feigning interest, trying to help, I don't know, rehabilitate this young lady. He's like Charles Xavier, he's trying to help her to learn to control these her, her amazing powers. Her mutant powers. 
But what he really wants to do is exploit her and make money off the psychic teenage girl. Like Magneto. Well, in one of the all-time great sequences in the history of the Jason movies, the girl's mom and this doctor get separated from everyone else at one point, and Jason is terrorizing and chasing them through the woods. In which case, he catches up with them. And what does any good doctor do? Red-blooded American man defending his woman. (laughs) He holds her in between himself and Jason. And Jason hacks and slash and chops this woman apart as the doctor defends himself with a human shield. You gotta give it up. I mean, that is, you know, (laughs) it's a pretty great moment because this guy has sunk to a new level of depravity and stupidity. And he's just, he's such... A huge shit stain on the face of humanity because he uses this woman, this girl's mom, to defend himself. It's so great, and, and, he, and it's not like he holds her there for a second or pushes oh, no, her. No, he is holding her while Jason is murdering her for a good four or five yeah. seconds. As Jason, she's clearly away. dead, and he's still holding her up for Jason. It's like, let me get that for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, get her. <laughs> Jason, I actually think Jason gives him a quick head nod before he continues chasing after this guy. Isn't this the guy that Jason gets with the giant saw, the, the buzzer saw thingy that he pulls out in part seven? He, he does. He gets him with the enormous hedge trimmers that I believe <laughs> it was ex- explained to me by some of our friends that lived down the street that were also way too young to see these films. I don't know what it was. Basically, it was um, it was a blade from like a uh, from a buzzsaw on the end of a long pole, and it spun. <laughs> it Jay, I, don't like know, a, I don't know what hardware store or tool shed Jason was shopping at, but an wherever, edger, you know, like the edger that your mom uses out on the yard. Imagine yeah, not, one of those no, he, <laughs> with a with a pole that's twice as long with a saw blade on with the end a spinning of it. hand saw blade. You know, you really do want this guy to get it, and it's so satisfying when he does. And I think that kind of kind of touches on something in the Jason franchise. You know, it kind of speaks to the longevity of it. And, you know, that's going to be our next topic. Now that we've wrapped up Three's Company, we're going to have a little more serious conversation about what is it about Jason that has spawned 25-plus years, 12 movies, a documentary, a really vaguely related TV series multiple comic books and actually these books have been these films have been adopted into books what is it about Jason that has spawned this terribly successful socially irredeemable franchise I mean well when you really think about it Jason is kind of a cultural icon uh, for a subculture I should say Um, he's right well I mean but to be a cultural icon I mean you don't have to be a hero you don't have to be beloved no, 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 no. I'm, de- I'm just saying, like, he's not, like, the president of the United States or Mickey Mouse. So it's more of a... He's a... Uh, he's, he's got a cult following. And in that way, he's a cultural icon. But everyone knows who Jason is, you know? There's a reason why they've released so many films. And I think part of the reason why there is durability is that one thing that they've done throughout the years is there's been enough continuity. Each one picks up where the last one left off for the most part. You mean Jason's dead and they have to bring him back to life? But he's always still left where he died at. <laughs> no, no he's not because in part 8 he dies in New York. He is melted down into a child and then part 9 all of a sudden he's back in Crystal Lake and he's lumpy oatmeal head Jason. Dave, obviously the sewage system of New York pours into the ocean where the ocean meets up with a giant tributary that eventually meets up with saltwater Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> <laughs> Well, his corpse was held very well for being in saltwater. Um, okay, with the exception of the end of part eight and beginning of part nine, they pretty much do pick up where the last. They one do, left especially off. in the first uh, two, three, and four. They do a really good job picking up right after the previous film. I think you know 
if we're going to have a serious conversation about the durability of the Jason franchise, we got to talk about its low-budget roots. These are movies that made a ton of money for Paramount Studios back in the day. You know, they could be made for $20 bucks. they turn around and make 40 or $50 million bucks, and Paramount would more than recoup their losses for the year. If you watch the uh, special features on the uh, Camp Crystal Lake, the four-disc, two-movies-per-disc DVD set, they actually talk about how Paramount would totally disown these films, but at the end of the year, they were making a lot of money off of them. I guess the one thing that can kind of attest to that is the fact that, you know, what movie genres that the people consistently, when movie source still existed, what was the movie genre that people consistently go back and rent over and over again? Well, it was these horror movies. Absolutely. People would rent them over and over again, and every facet, these things were making money, and like Dave said, for a small budget, they make way more money than, you know, a lot of these big budget movies wouldn't, wouldn't take as much, but they also de- developed that cult fan base that would make them, you know, stand the test of time, which is what's so great. I mean, Friday the 13th is one of the few horror movie franchises that's managed to do that, and it's been longer than any other horror movie franchise. Well, I I wouldn't say any other horror movie franchise, because the Halloween franchise started in, like, 77 or 78. But I think Halloween's different, because that franchise came from a legitimate film classic, because the original Halloween is very successful. Yeah, that's something I talk about, too, when I talk to people about the original Halloween. It's not... I don't look at the original Halloween as a horror movie. That's just a good movie. That's just a great movie. I think it's a lot closer to something like Psycho than it is to a horror movie, and what they became as sequels came out. You know, if... I think... The, for me, the Friday the 13th franchise kind of stands on the shoulders of the old explo- exploitation films, except it's more of a mainstream distillation of those exploitation films. They're not as dirty, they're not as lurid, they're a little more palatable for a mainstream audience, but Aaron touched on a great, great idea. When you used to go to the video stores, your local video stores and your chain video stores back in the day, you would find all 9, 10, 11, 12 of the Friday the 13th films, but next to them would be films like Puppet Master. Silent Night, Deadly Night. All of them would be there. Yeah, you'd find all of the the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, the Halloween movies, and the horror movie franchise or section at your local... I mean, I remember growing up as a horror movie fan, we would always go there. We've rent all of them. We've, we've seen all those movies, and that's where it started. It was written But I think without the Friday the 13th franchise kind of providing a template of the iconic serial killer and, you know, the formula of cheap, low-budget satisfying imaginative kills on that release you wouldn't have the puppet masters you wouldn't have these other you know even you know i don't i wouldn't say Pumpkinhead because i think Pumpkinhead is more indebted to uh nightmare on elm street but you know even stuff like uh behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon which is a much more recent excellent horror film you should check out is indebted to friday the 13th yeah just the concept of the horror movie franchise in general which is something that's become popular again over the last decade i mean you see movies like the saw franchise it's getting up to like six seven eight and i quit watching the saw franchise pretty much after the second one but one thing that reminded me of was back in the 80s when they'd also have these horror movie franchises like the jason movies where basically you know they'd go with i mean the jason movies are still going they haven't stopped i was about to say they, they, no, they go they, they'll the never point. stop jason's gonna be like uh, james bond and godzilla they might take a break in between but i guarantee you there will be another jason film at some point platinum dunes has kind of stolen the old jason formula by you know they remake these horror movies with young kids with no-name actors on a cheap budget and they just release they it make and money. they make money and that's what Jason has done but you know you go beyond that there's something about the character that people, people keep returning to they keep rooting for Jason 
Well, I mean, if you just like look at the things we've talked about here, I mean, there's the, the originality of the kills, which sounds really dorky, but as a horror movie fan, that's one of the things that draws you to. You want to see how creative they were, the ideas they came up with. You see the way that they turned the teenagers kind of into the enemy. You want to see Jason kill them, and that's a concept that was kind of pioneered through the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, absolutely, because I think I think Freddy, especially in the beginning of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, which was a much he's much more vicious and sadistic, and you kind of felt for the teenagers he was going after because they couldn't get away from him using their dreams. These teenagers in, in the Friday the Thirteenth films, the Jason films, are caricatures, and you hate them for it because they're the worst kind of caricatures. They're dumb. They're pot smokers. They're watching your kids, but they're not paying attention. They're having premarital sex. Come on, Ooh, who shouldn't die for that? That's a bad one. They deserve to die. I think for me, one other thing that they developed in the Friday Fifteenth movies was the ridiculous idea of how to bring the bad guy back to life. Jason came back. Not only we touched on the lightning bolt and the electricity, but Jason comes back in a number of different ways. Sometimes they don't necessarily explain it. He's just there, but Jason always manages to come back. And that's one thing that you see as a theme throughout horror movies, throughout the history of horror movies, especially after the Friday 13th movies really took off, is the ridiculous different ways they used to bring back all the different uh, various baddies. That well, that's there. one of the things you get excited for, is when you go to see these movies for the first time, you know, especially like a film like Friday 13th, you know, if you'd seen part five and you knew Jason was dead, but part six, the tagline was Jason lives. How does Jason how live? How does Jason live? Okay, they brought him back to life with lightning by Frankenstein. I can buy that. That's a classic tenet of horror movies. You know, I mean, beyond that, you know, Jason goes to hell. He was sucked down to hell. And we have to touch on, it was about a 10 or 12 year lag between Jason goes to hell and Freddy versus Jason. The Freddy glove at the end of Jason goes to hell. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're actually joking about. That just before we started this part of the uh the podcast about how there was that um, a decade plus lag between that and the actual making yeah <laughs> a little bit of a tease there but they got to it eventually and the evil jason creature that would that went up the vagina of his mom in that movie you know talk about i mean i guess you really can't destroy the jason franchise because you know there was a lot of substance there to destroy in the first place but Apparently there was the Jason maggot thing that that's why he kept coming back. You had to kill the Jason maggot thing. And at one point in Jason Goes to Hell, the Jason maggot thing slithers inside his dead niece's vagina. Yep. Thanks, New Line Cinema, for that (laughs) image. Now we know how Jason kept on living. How did Jason live? The giant slug creature slithering up girls' vaginas. Incestuous slug creature. Um, (laughs) But to touch on uh, Jason Goes to Hell... You know, there are other things in that film. A little movie called Army of Darkness was filming at the same time. The directors pretty much watered over the set. We're talking to Sam Raimi, and he's like, take the Necronomicon, take the dagger, put it into your set. And for that got people talking. Is Ash going to show up in the next Jason film? And now we've been waiting almost 18 years to find out if Ash is ever going to show up <laughs> and, and, in a Friday the 13th movie. And the answer to that one? No. Unfortunately, Bruce is just getting a little too old. But that... If we start that tangent, the Bruce well, Campbell tangent, this will go for another This will go on and on. If, if, if you're curious what Ash versus Jason looks like, pick up a comic book. I believe it's published by IDW. It's Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. It's actually based on the treatment that was done for the sequel to Freddy versus Jason that originally featured Ash. Ash was going to be the hero. It was going to take place at Crystal Lake in the wintertime. It was actually a pretty cool treatment. It sounded like it could have made for a good film. I don't know how close they were to making it. I know what the last minute it sounded like Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell pulled out because if Ash couldn't win, what was the point, right? So they, But they made it in comic book form. I flipped through it a couple times. Cool. 
Um, and they also actually made a sequel to it, um, Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash, The Nightmare Warriors, where Freddy figures out how to use a Necronomicon to come back. He, um, he makes Jason his general in the army of Deadites, and Ash actually has to find the survivors of the previous Jason and Freddy films and unite them. They become the Nightmare Warriors. And I, I flipped to some of that too, and it was pretty interesting. So if you're looking for the further adventures of Jason, go to your comic book store. You know, because, you know, I mean, the comic books are hit or miss. At one point, they did Jason versus Leatherface, where Jason is, they portray Jason as a big retard who jumps on a boxcar and ends up in Texas with the Sawyer family. He ends up slugging it out with Leatherface. If you ask me to fight, who wins? Sorry, Leatherface. I love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Jason Machete's to the right. That's it. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I believe that the Industrial Strength Machete will beat the Industrial Strength Chainsaw Day of the Week, especially when you have the master of the machete wielding it. The, the Machete Jason. Master. <laughs> the Machete Master. Um, Can we just call him Sensei, Jason? <laughs> Bout you, Sensei! I one thing from Freddy vs. Jason that I love was that when Jason would unsheath his machete, <laughs> I know, it sounded like, like he's pulling out a sword. Like and goes, a sword. <laughs> I closed my eyes for a second. I thought I was watching The Last Samurai. I was like, Jason, please get Tom Cruise. <laughs> please kill him. Jason, you need to machete his rampaging ego. Um, the last thing I'd like to touch on on this segment is just, you know, I grew up watching, me and Dave both grew up watching the Friday the 13th movies, as we've talked about a couple times. I mean, among the other classic horror franchises. Yeah, I mean, we, we've both watched, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, all that good stuff. But Jason is the one that we pretty much come back to the most. About a year and a half ago, I sat down and watched all of them with my girlfriend. It's her first time seeing it, and she fell in love with the Jason character, too. I remember for her 21st birthday, Dave got her Jason t-shirt, which really bonded their relationship <laughs> i like to call it sealed <laughs> <laughs> but you know jason you know it's a great horror movie character if you get a chance to check out all the movies you definitely should because as you can tell from our enthusiasm and our excitement about it uh the excitement will let you down you get a kick out of all of them every time you see them there's something new you notice that'll make you laugh and you know it's just that's really what brings you back because there's always something new to enjoy about and that's how good these movies are yeah you know i mean i feel we had a completely different show planned out and by planned out i mean barely sketched out at all kind of flying by the seat of our pants but out of spur of a moment we decided to do the show about jason because it's almost friday the 13th and you know the show it might not come off as well as it deserves but i think you can tell by our enthusiasm that we're both big fans and it was a big part of our adolescence if that's a good thing or a bad thing maybe too big of a part (laughs) yeah if it's a good thing a positive or a negative i'm gonna leave that up to you guys to decide these films need to be seen at least once if you're like us you'll be in on the joke and you'll get it and you'll find them entertaining on so many levels and if not you know then it's probably not for you but hopefully you have as much fun listening to the show as we had just basically winging it off the top of our heads talking about our hero and hopefully yours too jason borders so that wraps up this week's episode of a pod clips now um basically just gave everyone a heads up from here on out we're going to be posting new episodes about every 10 days so if you want to keep following up with us if you're enjoying what you're hearing then just keep checking back during that time period and you'll see new episodes pop up also we've created a facebook page and if you want to go there and become a fan of us it'd be greatly appreciated we're trying to spread the word on this so the any gospel, sort of, if you will. Yep, any sort of support we can get is greatly appreciated. The Facebook page, basically, what we're going to be doing is, uh, as news hits within media, anything we're paying attention to, we'll probably post links to it and comment on it, and also post reviews for anything that we're currently into at the time. 
and just a way to help connect with the community and the people that are into the show and listening to it. But once again, I'd just like to thank you guys for listening to the show and downloading it. We actually had to go to a pay subscription site because we'd been downloaded too many times. It's not as impressive as it sounds, but I'm looking at you, Jack, in Omaha, Nebraska. So, for Apocalypse Now, we are your heroes. I'm Dave. And I'm Aaron. And I'd like to thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys next week.